0: And there was a moment when I was younger that I was mad at certain things in Portugal, uh, which I think it's also typical of being young and to be to values and against uh, the place where you come from. And now because I traveled and I've seen in other places, I think that in the cosmic lottery that is when were you born and where uh, being Portuguese, born in 76, 1976, it's a good hand. Um, so, I, when people say, "Oh, are you?" When people ask me, "Are you proud of being Portuguese?" I say, "I, I like it. You know, I, there are things as any nationality that you might complain, but I, I think I was, I, I, lucky. I, I enjoy it."
1: Olá e bem-vindo. Welcome to the Simple Life, an insider's perspective into Portugal. We already know about Portugal's amazing weather, food and people. In this podcast we go deeper and meet the real people who make this country so wonderful. Dylan who has made his life in Portugal shares an insider's perspective into what makes Portugal the unique, beautiful and amazing country that it is. Join him and his guests every week as they shed some light on the incredible people, culture history and lifestyle that makes Portugal so appealing, a country where everyone feels like they belong. This podcast is sponsored by Portugal Realty. Welcome to The Simple Life.
2: On this week's episode, I'm joined by Hugo Gonçalves. Hugo was born and raised in Portugal. He's a writer and a former journalist, and after spending time in New York, Madrid, and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil came back home to Portugal. And Hugo is also the head writer for the well-known and popular series on Netflix, Cabo de Peixe, or Turn of the Tide. We discuss amongst other things, some of Hugo's memories of growing up in Portugal, the culture in Portugal of telling stories and how telling stories we tell stories to make sense of reality. Hugo talks about what he appreciates about Portugal in terms of scale and safety why he came back to Portugal after stints in Brazil, New York and Madrid and came back to Portugal to be more grounded. We speak about sardines and of course we talk about the hit series, Cabo de Peixe. For those of you listening, head over to our YouTube channel to watch some of this episode and now over to my interesting conversation with Hugo. Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Portugal The Simple Life. And it's really an honor to be joined here by Hugo Gonçalves. Hugo, uh, bon dia. Thank you for being on the podcast. How are you?
0: You're welcome. I'm I'm very well. It's a beautiful spring day in Lisbon. Hot. It's been hot. Yeah, it's it's more like it's a spring day, but it feels more like a summer day. Yesterday Um, was,
2: uh, today we're recording on the 16th of June. Yesterday was 35 degrees there. It was uh, very hot.
0: Yes. Um, what a British thing to start with talking about the, the, the weather the, and the Portuguese thing. We like to talk <laughs> yeah. It's about a Portuguese, Portuguese thing, thing yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Hugo, why don't you start off telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, um, <laughs> where to start? It's always odd to talk about oneself, but um, I was born in in Sintra, uh, which is um, a very Unique, uh, peculiar uh, village in Lisbon. Um, interesting enough, thought uh, sought out by a lot of British people, uh, foreign people. A lot of British people, starting with um, Lord Byron, a while ago. He was there as well. Uh, and right. the, but I was born there almost by accident because my mother's uh, doctor was there in the hospital, and uh, and then I was brought up in Isturil, okay uh, which is um, a place near. The coast, um, uh, and that has a great influence in um, the way, especially as a kid and as a teenager, you were brought up. You know, yeah. you ride your bicycle, you go to the beach, people surf. So it's 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 a little though it's a conservative, and I went to a Catholic school though it's a conservative uh, enclave, uh, so to say. It's also laid back in in in, uh, in the way that some people live. Um, and then um I went to study um, in Lisbon when I finished high school and uh, though now when I look back there, and a few weeks ago I went back to studio and you know, there's all this emotional patrimony uh, from your childhood in teenage mm-hmm. years, you know every corner, every um, street has a memory. Um, I also remember that I, I, I use the word conservative. It could also be kind of stifling to live there. You know, it's small, it's conservative, mm-hmm. people know each other. So as soon yes, as I you had, had to yeah, behave yourself, uh, otherwise, so,
2: otherwise, your mom would hear about it from someone. Yeah, also, also,
0: but also it was that there was a religion component to it. You know, okay. some old families, old money. Not my case at all, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, and when I was growing up, uh, people were a, a little prudish uh, in a way, you know, people misbehaved, but it was, you felt like you were living um, in a small place where everybody uh, uh, knew each other. And I always thought that the world should be, or it ought to be, I mean, I watched movies, I listened to music more than that. So I always had these um, i was always very cu- curious i was always seeking knowledge uh talking to uh, uh, foreigners that live in estoril because it's also a place where a lot of people from all around the world yeah. go and visit because it's very beautiful it's near the it's near the sea uh it's there's a, an amazing quality of life there estoril cascais as you might know and um, but then when i finished college and i started working in a news magazine as a journalist i studied journalism um, there was uh, one of the major assignments that I had I was still uh, almost an intern in the newsroom but um, there was this huge um, catastrophe in Venezuela big floods in December 1999 and because there's, remember. there's a big uh, Portuguese immigrant community in Venezuela there was uh, a journalistic interest and I was able to convince, convince the editor-in-chief to send me it was Christmas, so people want to stay at home. So I took advantage uh, that some of my colleagues uh, were not that interested to go and spend their uh, Christmas uh, Eve uh, in a refugee camp. And I was also very fortunate because uh, the guy that went with me was a, a very experienced photographer. He was uh, Spanish. He, he had been in the Iraq War um, and... Um, I mean I only was able to do that story because of him you know he was really experienced I was I was very green and when I came back um that contrast between what I had seen it it was not like I was not aware of the dark side of life or yeah. that I was privileged compared to uh, other I mean where I lived and my life to other places but but see that in first hand to see um the level of destruction and poverty um, yeah. um, kind of, um, you know, it was like, a, you you have those, it's like before an earthquake that the earth, you know, the, how do you say it in English? Placas tectonicas. Yeah, the um,
2: tectonic plates.
0: Yeah, that's almost the same. When they start to, uh, you know, to move before a big earthquake, I felt that something in me was, was moving places, mm. it was moving inside me. So I decided that I wanted to move abroad and I wanted to have a new experience. To wow. So I went to New York uh, when okay. I was 24. I lived there for three years. Um, I started out working as a journalist, sending uh, articles to Portuguese newspapers. And soon enough, I understood that um, it was a very expensive city. Uh, what even, ba- was... even back then? Yeah 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 it was always expensive Yeah. maybe yeah. maybe in the 70s i don't know <laughs> um it, this was just a few weeks after september 11th so it was a very particular moment to be living there but it was so I, I i i i understood that it was hard for me to make a living just writing for portuguese newspapers and i had friends that were waiting on tables bartending and they were making mm, bl- I wouldn't say loads of money, but they were they were they had a better life than I did. So I was thinking about writing my first novel, and I thought this is perfect. I'm going to get a a, a job as uh, waiting tables, bartending, whatever, and I have free time to write. So I wrote my first novel there. Came back to Portugal in 2004. Uh, went back to journalism. Then went to live in Madrid in 2006 uh already with that second novel published mm-hmm. worked there as a correspondent for a portuguese newspaper diario de noticias lived in okay. madrid almost for 4 years came back to lisbon again worked in in journalism on and off um also writing uh oh and then of course i wrote there was a time in my life i would, i i wrote a daily column in a newspaper almost okay. killed me i did that for almost 2 years almost killed me <laughs> Because you had to be all day long. You had to be looking for stories all around you. And, yeah. uh, and and it's funny because during that period of time, I didn't write a book because I just didn't have the energy or the um, the mind space to be able to mm. write a daily column and then sit down and write a novel, which needs a different um, approach. You know, you need sure. more, you need time. And then I went to Brazil, uh, lived there for four years. Well, wow. again... Doing, uh working in a publishing house writing uh published two more books and then in 2015 uh to come full circle i came back to portugal because as uh just like ulysses uh, uh in the in the classic uh, uh literature the good portuguese immigrant any immigrant has to come home you know and strange. and i felt that almost 10 years living abroad there was something that was a few things uh, but it was pulling me back mm. uh, to the place where um i was born
2: yes yeah, so you, you experienced real uh, South Dutch. Uh, yes. And, yes and what <laughs> were the things pulling you back you go what were the things that that were well i
0: i guess i guess some things were external and some things were internal sure. um uh i was tired of living in brazil it had been four years it's uh rio i lived in new york madrid and rio three very big cities very yeah. intense uh rio was definitely the the most ferocious contender as a city you know it can uh, destroy you uh, sometimes you know at sometimes at the end of the day i know that people romanticize rio and i had wonderful time there i had beautiful memories But it's a very difficult city to navigate and to just to take care of little things. You know, you go take care of a document or getting a buzz, and uh, sometimes things are difficult. There are obstacles. So, um, if you want, if you need some peace of mind, if you need some time alone to write, um, um, it's almost like every little errand that you have to do daily there's a possibility that it might go wrong. Yeah. So you have to have a lot of stamina and endurance to deal with it. And there was a moment that also um, I was coming to the end of a a, a relationship. It was not a marriage, but we had been together for five years. So everything was like the end of a cycle. And uh, I had been outside Portugal for 10 years, like I said, and i understood back then that if i wanted to be i don't want to sound very corny but if i wanted to be the writer that i wanted to be and the person that i wanted to be i had to be more grounded um to i uh, you know i had experiences it's like i had traveled i had experience i know i think there's a time for it but also there's a time in your life where you kind of cross this imaginary arch where you st- top fantasizing about the future which is very typical of youth you know you yeah where i'm gonna go i'm gonna uh, yeah what i'm gonna do with my life whatever so we're always thinking about the future and there's this arch in your life maybe call it middle age i don't know where you also feel compelled to look back to how did i get here uh not only you but your parents your grandparents You yeah. you Um, so I felt that I, I had crossed, uh, that arch and I needed to, um, um, think more about who I was rather than be looking for experiences one after the other. Mm. Um, and so that relationship ended, I came back to Portugal, um, and, um, So this was more, I was telling you, like the the internal conflict and external conflict. So it was Brazilian, I was tired of Brazil, I came and then this internal conflict as well. And um, I felt that you mentioned the word so that I was never one to be longing, you know, aching for something Portuguese, you know, I'm not I like uh, when I was living in New York and I went to Newark there's a big Portuguese community there I would go to pastelarias and eat pasteis and all that Yeah you know, there's a there's a
2: community uh, there where they don't I mean, no, nobody speaks English it's just uh it's like here it could be in the middle of uh, Yeah I, you know the first time I, I
0: I went there I took the, the I lived in New York and I took the PATH train and I, I I I I was in Newark and I saw a guy and I was in the United States and I said I'm sorry uh could you tell me where is BCP Bank? And he replied in Portuguese and he said, <laughs> tu não és português? Uh, don't a falar inglês para So you're Portuguese. So he noticed because I have an accent. Why
2: aren't you speaking Portuguese? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and, um, uh... oh, but the, the word sold out. So I was never, you know, uh... the nationality, it's just by chance. You don't choose to, to be Portuguese or American or whatever. So... I don't feel that like you should be very proud of being something that you had nothing to do with, you know, yeah. just by chance. Uh, but if you're fortunate to like living where you live, you know, to identify with some of the characteristics of your culture, that's amazing. You know, and, and there was a moment when I was younger that I was mad at certain things in Portugal. Uh, which I think it's also typical of being young and to be to values and against uh, the place where you come from. And now, because I traveled and I've seen in other places, I think that in the cosmic lottery, that is when were you born and where, uh, being Portuguese, born in 76, 1976, it's a good hand, you know? Uh, it's better than being born in medieval England or or Germany or being an adult in Germany in 1939 you know yeah. um so I when people say oh are you when people ask me are you proud of being Portuguese I said I I like it you know I there are things as any nationality that you might complain but I I think I was I, I lo- lucky I I enjoy it
2: yeah um yeah I, I like what you say you know about um there's a few things one one uh being angry about things in portugal is not actually just a youngster thing it's a portuguese thing as well like we, we <laughs> like to we like to complain sometimes um but you i mean you mentioned it already when you went out to venezuela um going to places <clears throat> like brazil new york will make you see things from a different perspective they'll make you see things and appreciate things that possibly before you you didn't notice or you took for granted yeah, definitely. um <clears throat> what were some of those things with your travels where you thought yeah actually you know what what we've got back home yeah. is pretty good yeah. uh, were there any things that you kind of would that were revealed to you along the way that you thought mm, it's pretty it's pretty good back back home uh, well two things regard.
0: two things just come to mind one is like scale and safety and scale is i lived in a very big cities and i craved you know i wanted to go to new york you know to be in the eye of the hurricane to meet all thousands of people and go everywhere in bars and go out and you know in and meet all kinds of people and i did that you know my yeah. um and i i like that i feel like i uh, i'm i'm um i'm attracted uh, or at least i was but i'm still attracted for an urban site you know where you can you go out and you have everything uh in your block and uh, you have old cosmopolitan all kinds of people speaking all kinds of languages of course that's that's amazing but also it can be perhaps oppres- oppressive sometimes it can be too much you know and sure. we were not as a species as almost sapiens sapiens we were not for th- hundreds of thousands of years we're not uh, used to the scale of living in the big city, so our brains still, uh, uh, still sometimes have a hard time adapting to it, to meet, to be meeting strangers, you know, in the street. So uh, it can be, uh, it can be hard. So when I came back to Portugal and especially Lisbon, it's a city of, I think now six hundred thousand people living here. Must be here uh, a little more during the day because you have the people from the suburbs coming and work so maybe a million something during the day um, but it's the right scale you know the traffic um, cars outside the noise compared to other cities that I lived it's it's more mellow it's easier you can walk you can ride your bike even though it's, there's hills but you can still move around it's not a big city so I like mm-hmm. the scale of it uh, there's a human scale to it. And it's still like it was not when I left the first time in 2001. Now it's a cosmopolitan city. Now you have sure. people from all over the world uh, with different stories. And it was not like that when I left, you know, in 2001 for the first time. It was more more gray city. Uh, had, of course, it had people from, uh, from outside Portugal, but it was not the same thing. And the other thing is something I was never uh, able to value... Uh, as I was growing up which is being safe and when I lived in Brazil I understood that and just to yeah. tell you a story when I came back to Brazil a friend of mine came to visit and uh, she, we were sitting outside in a Esplanada a, 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 an outside um table in a cafe um, and she said can I speak on the phone here is it safe and I said what do yeah. you mean and I forgot because I had lived in Brazil and I knew what she was, what she meant. Because if you're speaking speaking on the cell phone in Brazil, you have to be careful because someone might run and just grab it just from grab your it. hand. Yeah. And I said, I've, it might happen. I've never i've I haven't heard of a story where someone was speaking on their phones in Lisbon, and so and of course we're talking about like this petty petty robbery, but things can get pretty um violent in brazil you know yeah. um, i was very lucky when i lived there but someone was uh murdered just outside my house once um i have a, a, a mutt a dog that i got in brazil she's sitting just <sighs> behind me now she, she, i brought her from Brazil, and one night she was like barking like a mad dog and i said what what happened and i looked and i saw two guys trying to get into my apartment on the yeah. just through the window. Um and when I think about Portugal now and we're always saying that oh we are we are a poor country. And considering the European Union and compared to Sweden and to uh Germany even to Spain of course we're a poor country and uh um but there are things here um uh that are not sometimes considerable valuable but to be rich or to have uh, any kind of richness, it's not only money. It's not only the money that you have at the end of the month in your bank you mm-hmm. know? bank account, where you make your wage, your salary. Because, for example, in the United States, education and health are not free. And that counts. So in Portugal, education and health, they are free. You might then... Talk about is it working? Is the uh, uh, health national service working better or worse? That's a different story. But it's a different if you yeah, together, but if you yeah. if you have a, like if you have a stroke, if you are in an accident in a yeah. car, you'll go to a public hospital and you'll have the best people taking care of you. Yep. So True they story. will they yeah they will probably <clears throat> save your life. Um and and I think one you of you put a those price
2: tag on those things. No you, no you can't yeah i mean and- it's, it's it's an interesting perspective hugo because <clears throat> you know we always equate uh crime with poverty mm-hmm. and in a country that traditionally is poor we haven't had that crime and that's fascinating for me that's well that's- because
0: poverty in portugal like if you compare it to brazil in portugal uh and and of course uh if you talk about uh, the the financial crisis more than ten years ago, or even now during COVID, of course there are people that um, follow below the line of poverty and their kids have to eat at at the school, you know, because they can make three meals a day or whatever. But we're not talking about poverty like in some places in Brazil where I've been, true. or in, in some places Puerto in Africa. Africa. So yeah, so. True it's hard for someone in Portugal to starve, you know? There are places where you can go, and eat. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, but mm. there's there's a social network, and there are institutions, private and public, so it's really difficult in Portugal for you to uh, fall off that net, you know? There are places where you can go and ask for food and ask for help. Um, I'm not saying that's not a problem, but mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, you cannot sense. you you cannot <clears throat> compare it to uh, I mean we are talking poor compared to yeah. uh, European uh, European levels so not yeah, compared yeah, yeah. to <clears throat> first world levels not compared to uh, yeah, to the wor- to other countries yeah. but uh, talking about being safe to feel safe to go out you know you can go out and you you can walk home my friend the one with the cell phone she asked me well if I go out to Puerto Alto and she was living in Rocio which is I don't know my mm-hmm. like five minutes walk can I walk at two o'clock in the morning can I walk home without being raped <laughs> and I said yes <laughs> look I've never heard of someone being raped in the center of Lisbon yeah um of course and especially as a woman you're more cautious but I, I would bet my money that you can walk from Bajo Alto at two o'clock in the morning and nothing happens you know yeah. yeah there's no there's no violent crime you know there's there's I mean there's violent crime but it's, but not uh, to the levels. Yeah. No, no. It's it, Portugal is uh, the data just came out. It's like one of the safest countries in the world. The the murder rate. It's ridiculous low. You know, along with Japan. It's like, um, so and that when you live in Brazil or in other places where you see that people complain, said like I would just, uh, once in Brazil, a friend of mine said like you don't you don't know what is to grow up and you could not go out with your friends because you were afraid of being kidnapped. Yeah, And I don't, <clears throat> I don't. No. And that's, and having that, that's a commodity. I never thought of that uh, yeah. as a Portuguese because it was, it was given. I you know I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> you ask me two things, uh, safety <clears throat> and scale are two of those things.
2: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um, just about your books. Are they in fiction or nonfiction?
0: Uh, they're fiction um, I have the seventh novel is coming out now I have one that is not fiction it's a memoir it's called Phil de main son of his mother in the direct translation and that is a memoir about loss and mourning and the effects of uh losing a parent in this case uh, my mother died when I was eight to cancer and when I was 40 I I felt compelled to write about that experience, not as a the eight-year-old kid that lost his mother, but as the grown man that was able, at least had maturity, was mature enough to look back and to see how that loss had affected his character, uh, affected his life story, but also his family's life story. And how um, mourning was... Was experienced differently uh, by each member of that family. Yeah. Uh, it's probably my most successful book if you consider success, the number of editions, and how many people read it, mm-hmm. because of course it's an emotional subject and loss sure. is universal. Um, and uh, uh, but besides Fil de May, all my books are, are fiction.
2: Okay. Okay. So. Um, that that's that last one that's grounded in something very very real uh and very honest and something that people have to face all the time um yeah that's uh, that's that's interesting i mean how did how did growing up you mentioned excuse me growing up in Estoril and having that sort of connection to people and not really a lot of place to hide and Mm um that you know a lot of conversations a lot of you mentioned your curiosity <clears throat> how did that influence you to become uh, the writer that you are today
0: well um i think being curious um and maybe that was in my dna i don't know you know uh i've heard the other day, friend of mine she's a dutch writer she lives in uh in portugal as well and she was saying that uh there's a uh a big number of writers that are either they either lost their mothers or they have an absent father, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess that imagination and curiosity is a defense mechanism as well um, when you're going through that loss and that pain. Um, uh, but maybe some things are just in your DNA, you know, uh, you just inherited them. My my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, was like that. But the thing is. Um, I was always like that. I was always trying to uh, uh, read new things. I was as as there was there weren't there weren't that many books in my house. My my father was not a big reader, uh, but I remember as a young, I know watching news on TV, uh, buying newspapers at a really young age. I was curious about the world. Something that I cannot honestly um, see where where did it come from uh but i think it's a it's if you want to be a writer or uh, if you want to be uh writing about human nature and this horrific and at the same time magnificent thing of being alive if you want to do that you have to be curious you know um you have to leave your comfort zone you have to uh understand other people uh and so In the beginning, that expressed itself in the sense that I had to move geographically to go to other cultures, other people, to experience things, you know, to uh, try drugs, to uh, visit new cities, to know new cultures. And then at a certain point, you understand that that might... Uh, that generate in something very egotistical and very e- inconsequent. Uh, so uh, it's fun, it's amusing. I have amazing s- stories and uh, memories of my bohemian days and my traveling days. But it gets to a point that, like I again, like I said before, if you want to, it's a craft. Writing is a craft, or anything that you do. If you want to do it seriously, yeah you have to stop you have to stop you have to be grounded you have to um you know there's this american writer that i love michael chabon and he said that very early understood that uh, to be a writer you needed three things luck talent and work and he only could control one which was work so luck and talent you don't control it you either it really shows or not so he started writing he started working yeah, it's, it's like that story that uh, maybe it's not true, but they say about uh, uh, Picasso that he uh, said that when inspiration knocks at my door, it better catch me working. So the idea, the romanticized idea that, you know, writers go, uh, just look outside the window and they wait for inspiration. It's not true. I wake up, you know, I do what I have to do at home. And then at eight o'clock... Um, I sit down and I write and some days you just you produce a couple of paragraphs that are not that good and some days um, it goes well. Um, but that kind of persistence uh, to be there, to be grounded, you need that at a certain point in your life if you want to do something yeah. well, you know.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Um, we do have a, a culture in Portugal of, of stories, uh, mm. folklore, it is something quite quite rich in 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 in, in, <clears throat> in part of Portuguese culture. I mean, I remember living in Nazaré, which is a traditional fishing village, and yeah, yeah. there were stories that that once you'd had time and once you got to, once people trusted you and they felt like hey, you're one of us, and they would talk about stories of Nazaré, you know, about things on the beach and fishermen stories and things that, that you wouldn't have read anywhere that you wouldn't have heard on a news story or, or anything. This passing on of stories is something that still seems to exist in, in, in our culture. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, And I know it's not unique to Portugal, but it is very rich in, in Portugal. I mean, did that, was that, do you think that helped you as a writer? Do you think that kind of sparked creativity or, or helped you to be able to tell a story in a, in a, in a different way?
0: Uh, I I don't know. I think, like you said, it's not unique to Portugal. Uh, telling stories is our way of making sense, you know, of the chaotic and uh, um, and the things that we cannot control. So it's, sometimes it's like a game of mirrors, where by telling a story, we we understand something about our na- our nature, about the people around us. Uh, and since the beginning of time, humans have been telling stories. Uh, it's almost like drinking water or eating, you know, it's it's almost essential for our condition as human beings. Um, and um, I don't think that specifically in Portugal, the stories that you're uh, uh, mentioning, you know, the, the ones that go back and the folklore, of course I've heard some of them, but um, I was always very, um, uh, even when I was young, I was very curious and attentive to, the stories of uh, family melodramas or friends of the family, like the things that were going on in the way that the subtext, the way that grown-ups talk in the way that, for example, when my mother was sick, people would never, never use the word cancer. They would call it kozruin, bad thing, or, you know, the thing. And only uh, many years after, I understood that just by evoking that word, they would feel that they were bringing bad luck or that they were afraid of that word. And of course, mm-hmm. cancer back in 85, it's still very scary, but it was really scary in 85. You know mm-hmm. And, and I was always, um, always curious about those stories about the way people talk, the words they use, the musicality, you know? So I'm, I'm just like musicians have uh, an ear that is kind of tuned to, uh, to get music and, and and harmonies, I'm I'm my my ear is tuned to dialogue, you know. When I listen to something to a good sentence, I was like, oh, I write it down. This is good. And sometimes when I'm writing, it just shows up, you know. Uh, the colloquial, the the slang, you know. I'm always very attentive to it. So as a writer, I like to go from from in the same page, if needed, from the very uh, or I hope. It, erudite you know uh, literary expression of my language and then a dialogue where you have a street guy talking slang to another guy you know i love that because language is everything language is um is is from Camões, the 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 poet from the 16th century to uh the guy that is uh selling uh dvds on the corner you know whatever so uh, i see language as these Amazing uh, assemble of notes that you can go and take. Yeah. Uh, so the the this you, you were saying about the stories. And just to finish, um, the journalism helped me. So I had the curios- curiosity in journalism as a journalist. It helped me to get the confidence and the tools to be able to just approach someone and start talking to mm-hmm. them. So, mm-hmm. so I would see. I, I I might be you know walking the street in something that interests me i i have no problem going there and start a conversation with yeah. someone that i don't know
2: interesting mm-hmm. you yeah, know we have we have some beautiful way of saying things in portugal and the other day my it was um you know this time of the year is all about sardines and calapau and we had <laughs> some, uh we had some <clears throat> we had some sardines in calapau the other day at home on, on a barbecue and we like ways to end the meal, like in good Portuguese style, end the meal with uh, with a nice aguardente, and and um, mm. <laughs> and my wife the next day she said her stomach wasn't feeling so good. You know, maybe we had too much aguardente, and she said something. She says peixe não puxa cro- uh, yeah, 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 And it's just such a beautiful expression. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't translate. You know, the the the, yeah. the, the fish doesn't pull the cart, but. Uh. There's just ways that we say things here, which uh, I love. I mean, I love once you get into the language a little bit more, and 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 a lot and of also, and this, with... and there's,
0: there's it's beautiful the way it said, it tells a lot about you know, if you don't eat meat, you don't have the strength to, so fish is just not good enough. But also, it tells it has historical truth to it because, yeah. uh, you know, during this the the 20th century, Portugal was then it was really poor not like now and people didn't eat meat very often so yeah. meat was a luxury you know and 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 represented wealth and uh, of course it was also um romanticized the idea that meat was something that would give you strength um yeah but that's a beautiful expression i haven't heard uh, it in a, in a while
2: yeah i hadn't heard it for a while and and
0: uh but you mentioned yeah. sardines and it's funny because i'm sorry The other day, I was trying to explain to an American friend the sardine. You know, it's a cheap fish, not in, not that, not that much anymore, but it is, you know. Um, And it's very fishy, the way the Americans usually say that. You know, when I was waiting on tables, a woman said, Is the fish fishy? And was like, It comes from the sea and it's a fish. What do you expect? And of course, what she was saying as a Portuguese, I like fish that dislike fish. What she was saying is, like, I want like a fish that it's white, it doesn't taste that much like doesn't fish. Have that
2: smell. Yeah. yeah.
0: But um and I was trying to explain the sardine and it was difficult because there are certain things and these kinds of this kind of ties up our conversation, you know, the soldat, the coming back. There's this emotional patrimony that is mainly accumulated during your childhood and teenage years. That's related to the place where you were brought up. And if you had uh a happy childhood that is imprinted with the force and with the color that lasts for the rest of your life. So many people with dementia, you know, they don't remember what they did yesterday, but they still remember things from the childhood. So yeah. the sardine, I remember once in New York, someone, a German illustrator, she had a, an orange and she said, How do you say this in Portuguese? And I said, Laranja. And she said, as long as you live in New York, you might live here for the rest of your life. An orange will never be a laranja. And and it's funny because there's another story with fruit. When I was in Brazil, that um, a friend of mine was telling me about, just like I was telling a friend of mine that the sardines, he was trying to convince me of the beauty of the the fruit goyaba. How do you say that in English? Goyava. Uh, I don't know. You know the it's it's like a a tropical fruit that it's pink in the inside and green on the outside uh, guava yeah guava guava, guava, yeah, okay. guava. it's goiaba in portuguese yes 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 and he was telling you about how he would climb the, the guava tree and uh, in his uh grandfather's house and just bite them and of course because we didn't have guavas in portugal it, okay i tasted it it's nice it's uh, but it's not the same thing you know so the sardines when I eat a sardine, it's not only the uh, the 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 fish itself how it tastes, but it what it brings. You know, it's like the the Proust Madeleine. It's my grandfather cooking them in the balcony of their house in uh, the Algarve. Uh, it's the times that I came from the beach with my friends and we went and we had prawns and yeah. we're having beer and then we ordered sardines. And I guess one of the things that uh, I was looking uh, for what I was looking for when I came back to Portugal. And and since then I started a family. I have a kid now was that sense of something that emotionally at a pool that other places didn't have. They have uh, met many other things, you know, but they didn't, they don't, they don't have that um, sense that you're traveling back in time sometimes. And I, I told you that I went to studio, uh, a few weeks ago, and I was in the car, the window was open, it was a beautiful day, a song from my teenage years, a tacky song, but it doesn't matter, was playing on the radio, and it was immediately, it was like I was traveling back in time, and I was telling this to my friend, and he was saying, I understand you, he also lives in Lisbon, when I go there, it's not only about nostalgia, You know, it's not about, oh, those times, it's like I kind of, regain that joy of life and that youthness again and i found that is angle beautiful it's true when i revisit these things it's not only in a nostalgic you know oh i i'm not younger anymore no no it's like you you get something from those memories you get something from revisiting eating sardines or going to the beach with your friends
2: yeah yeah 100 percent yeah yeah that going back in time thing is is something beautiful here as well and and uh there's things that you could go back to a a, a village that you visited 10 years ago in portugal and certain things will be exactly the same Uh, i mean it's again the same everywhere but there is this kind of preservation of things which are the beautiful things which i think is is wonderful um hugo i want to be conscious of your of your time um You're also the the main writer for uh, a very popular series at the moment, Chabot Dupesh. We were talking about sardines, so it's a good segue (laughs) talking about fish. Um, Turn of the tide in English. Turn of the tide in English. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I prefer the name Chabot Pesh. I actually went there. uh, um, We we went to the Zorz many years ago. Uh, My wife was on on one of our first trips together, um, and... We, we did a lot of those stories, but we never actually stopped in that town right. um, because she said, no, it's really little and it's a fishing village and there's not a lot to see. And, uh, but I was always fascinated by the name of Dupesh. And then I saw this name popped up on, on Netflix with this, this series. I mean, without spoilers, and, and obviously I know that you have to, there's certain things you can and can't say, um, but t- tell people who don't know a bit about what this, this story is about. Because the story is amazing.
0: So first, let me just say that yesterday, uh, the day before we we are recording this, Netflix announced uh, a second season, cool. and um, so that's a big thing for the uh, um, for the industry in Portugal. We never had a, a series that traveled abroad like this one, so it was a success outside Portugal. Uh, It was in the top 10 in many different countries in Brazil and Spain, you know, countries that have an industry that we can not even dream about. In Portugal, we are a very small country. And the fact that, to be uh, completely honest, the fact that they renew for a second season, it's not because they were marveled by our uh, storyteller qualities, uh, but because (laughs) they had a lot of viewers. Of course, I'd like to think that the series has quality. Otherwise, people wouldn't Um, follow it with such an enthusiasm because it's just I I know if you've been paying attention and that clearly uh, surpassed our expectations that it became uh, in Portugal a cultural phenomenon so people are repeating sentences in the uh, in the series you know Uh, big uh, uh, big uh, companies like Uber uh, or Aldi the supermarkets are using sentences from uh, the series to do advertisements, you know, uh, and it's tr- it's 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 from the CEO to the bellboy in the hotel. People are talking about the series, and I- I'm saying this not uh, uh, because I want to brag about it, but because it completely surprises.
2: You're allowed uh, to brag. It's, it's, no, it's, it's amazing. no, no, no. It's it's incredible. <laughs> it's congratulations. so we were
0: very happy about how people were enthusiastic about it, and in Portugal. People were proud of it because we're not very, I mean, we're not well-known. We might be well-known for our beaches, our wine, our food, not for our uh, TV content. But it's funny. We didn't erase this. Can I show you what just got in the mail? T-shirts that someone sent me of the TV series. Amazing. America—it's the name of the video club where they go and rent. Because this is set in two thousand and one, and they still rented VHS. So let's go back to the story, uh, because that's what's matter. Um, The premise is—it's—it's a real story. It happened in the summer of two thousand and one, and two Italian mafiosi were traveling in a sailboat from Venezuela to the Canary Islands in Spain, and they had a problem in their sails in their boat. And they had to go into port in uh, São Miguel, the Azores. The thing was, they had, we don't know for sure, but they had hundreds, maybe thousands of kilos of pure cocaine inside the boat. So they could not risk going into port with that amount of cocaine. So they put the cocaine, they were able to put the cocaine, like inside a cave in the rocks. They went to port, but then there was a storm and the cocaine just spread out throughout the coast. Uh, we're talking about a kilo was worth around six, 60,000 euros, maybe more. And we're talking about, especially Rahab Peix, but the Azores, the Azores for uh, the ones who don't know, it's an archipelago, nine islands, uh, between America and in Europe, between Portugal and America. So Rachabt Peix, which is a, a fishing village, uh, people that were making 20 euros a day, going out fishing, very dangerous, hard work, all of a sudden had 60,000 euros on their hands. And to encapsulate the spirit of the story, this was told by someone that was there and told us. We interviewed a lot of people. Uh, he said this, and we kind of used this this sentence in, the, in the, the series. He said, look, there were two kinds of people back then. The ones that used their nose and the ones that used their head. The ones that use their nose are not with us anymore. The ones that use their head, they have very nice houses right now around. So, of course, um, it's funny because the other day I met this guy that worked in the prison where the Italian guy was, uh, was arrested. And he said, Oh, I met the guy. He said, I met the guy, the real guy that you portray. And he was saying, Look, I'm, I'm happy because the premise is very good, but the story in itself. I mean, if you would make like a story based on what happened, it would just like be uh, one episode, you know. So the premise is very good. There's all these mythology, these stories that people told that you don't know if they're true or not. A few of them, we don't think they're true. Like people um, giving cocaine to their pigs because they thought that it was uh, flour um, to do. What do you say? Empanar sardines, you know, when you do the
2: fry fry to uh, the better bat, the for the, the batter
0: for the, yeah to do yeah. the batter of the sardines with with cocaine um but the truth is that uh drawing a,
2: lines with the football on the f- yeah the, f- the football, football
0: field yeah the football pitch yeah uh and the truth is the premise is is it's universal is you know it's called in the industry the bag of money what happens if you found the bag of money yeah. but in this case with cocaine it gives you much more to work with and there's a character in the first episode, it says... Because in, in the Azores, they're very religious, very Catholic. And it says, Dear God, throwing thousands of kilos of cocaine in one of the poor places in Europe, you must be taking a piss, you know? And there's an aspect to it of taking a piss that it's in the series, the, the dark humor. The series is... is uh, I would like to think it's funny. You know, people have been talking about it. You know, People are re- re- repeating the lines... Uh, but mainly, it's a story of a kid and kids that are in the middle of the ocean. They were dealt a bad hand, you know. They could be smart, but they could be what they. The main character is a smart guy. He, he had to drop out of school to help his father uh, fishing. It's it's a very typical story. So they know that being born in the Azores, in that special village, very small village, very poor they will never have an, another opportunity, you know, yeah. they will not have scholarships. Uh, they will not have s- someone, you know, uh, uh, a philanthropist going there with their foundation and saying, Oh, you know, uh, you were so unlucky for uh, being born here. Let me take you to uh, uh, the United States and I'll pay for you, uh, for you to yeah. go to a nice college. So they know that it's, uh, it, they have to grab it and, and take a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also an, an aspect of, um, we talked a lot about that in the writer's rooms that these people don't know how to deal drugs. So what if us, the writers, we just found drugs and went to just start selling? It would be, we would be amateurs. So we would screw up a lot, you know, and we use that as well, you know. So they're not these masterminds, very smart guys, you know, that everything goes the way they planned no they they screw up a lot
1: (sighs) yeah
2: yeah because i know it's um they made it very clear in the trailer and everything it's loosely based on a a real story so there's a lot of stuff that goes into it um you guys as the writers are the ones that have to expand on like you mentioned if you wrote it literally it would be a a day it would be one episode but you're expanding on all the repercussions or the potential stories and subplots around it um, it's quite a heavy I mean th- that was a massive story in Portuguese history like in 2001 this was big news yes that you know because <clears throat> again like you mentioned you know in, generally in Portugal uh, we're so far removed from these things of violence and drugs and mafia and here all of a sudden this little village in the middle of the ocean is thrown into the limelight with this thing. This was a massive news story. Um, how do you write that? I mean, because uh, it, it, because it's something that's almost a bit of a culture shock for, for for us in Portugal that something like this could happen.
0: Well, we had in you know, our favorite time that happened more than 20 years ago. So usually you say tragedy plus time equals comedy. Um, and there was a tragic aspect to it. You know, people destroy their lives through their Coke and uh but you have time so we had the time we're not back then you know this happened a lot so a, lo- a long time ago so um um it was it, the the premise was there so yeah. everything was there you know the the odd aspect of a poor village getting all this coke the uh, the, the 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 Italian so you have the two three um, three groups: you have the locals, you have the Italians that, in our story, go back to recover the coke, and then you have the police. So mm-hmm. we have this triangle, this triangle of uh, cat and mouse chase, chasing each other, and um, so it was the, the 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 ingredients were there. We just had to cook to cook them uh, and make the cake, uh, but everything was there, you know. Yeah. So, but in. It, 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 Yes, Portuguese are not used to that kind of uh, organized crime or this kind of event. Uh, But also, I think the characters, they could identify with them. So there was always a human aspect and we wanted the culture of the Azores present. Not as folklore, not as to paint the back setting, but can we use the identity of the Azores because there's an identity? Can we use things as... They always felt that um, the Portuguese from the continent uh, were a, l- a little snubbed. You know, the, the, the Azores was discovered um, in the 15th century, was then colonized. And for 400 years, there was not one king that visited the it Azores. Visited the, so know. that tells something about mm-hmm. how uh, Lisbon and the continent sees the archipelago and how they, they, they feel uh, because they're portuguese you know uh of, and sometimes people don't even know uh or they don't care to know how many islands what the name of them so all these cultural aspects of identity they are in the series as yeah. well uh and and yeah. you you'll get to know so i i guess that even though the the main event the inciting inciting incident of the series it's uh, removed for the portuguese reality even even though it's real the characters are very grounded in our culture and people at least in portugal and i guess all around yeah. the world uh, felt um that were able to identify with their their quest
2: yeah there's something that come out in, in what you said to me now which i just kind of realized comes out a little bit in the writing uh in the series um you mentioned how you know in the big scheme of the lottery of where we end up in life uh. You know, if you end up in Portugal in 1976, it's pretty good. Uh, being born there in 1976. And there's a line from the movie where the guy says he's it's something like he's on a on a prison in the middle of the ocean. And yeah. uh and the girl says, yeah, there's nothing else for us, like it's never gonna get better than this, or something, yes. something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh that's interesting. It, it links well into what you spoke about, like the the hand that we dealt, yes. the the place that we are, and these, and that's I think what's so relatable for. Especially for Portuguese people, or actually for people in all kind of walks of life, there's nothing better for me. This is the hand that I've been dealt, and all of a sudden there's this opportunity that comes along where I could change everything, uh, and that's what makes it such a fascinating storyline. So I'm excited to see what happens in series two. It's going to be uh
0: well. We still we have don't to need write spoilers. It. <laughs> we
2: don't need spoilers. Yeah, there's, uh, there's no there's on. no
0: spoilers because we 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 still need to yeah. sit down and write
2: amazing but but congratulations amazing season two um uh, i can't wait to see where it goes and and uh there is a there's a human side to these characters and to the writing which is just beautiful like that's the only way to describe it it's no thank you so much it's beautiful uh, yes so... because we
0: always think I, i'm i'm really happy that you said it because we didn't want just to make an action series about drug dealing we wanted the characters to have psychological depth and to have real life conflicts and to be more than just uh the g- glamorous life of kids that start dealing with uh yeah. drugs and uh and that was always our our purpose so if yeah. you if you felt that um i'm i'm very glad good uh
2: just um because this is it's a Portuguese series. There's um, we spoke about patient no puxa coruja. There's saudade. Uh, there's I was speaking actually to a guy on the podcast um, uh, on another episode, and he spoke about there's certain expressions we have in Portugal, and one of them was the literal translation is "unshit yourself." You know the the w- just give the us merdut. yeah exactly exactly. I can't <laughs> say it properly, so I, I never I never try. <laughs> but um, um, I've heard my wife say it a lot. Uh, sometimes to me anyway um (laughs) (laughs) but uh hugo just for fun a a line from the the the, um a line from the movie that's just like a typical portuguese way of saying something to somebody that translated out into english gets a little bit lost or doesn't have the same you know the same source the same uh the same impact Uh, is there anything that that comes to mind
0: Oh, I I, I don't know there's so many but there's one that really stuck and people are repeating it over and over and um, when I know who wrote it and why it was the creator of the series the showrunner August Fraga and um, I don't know if it has the same I'm not an actor so but the guy that delivers the line is so and it says something like um, "Is they're having a meeting and the guy comes in, but he kind of hesitates entering the room and he says, Hey you Wednesday. He says, Wednesday? Why Wednesday? Because you're in the middle. You either come in or just fuck off, you know? Um, and people now are using that Wednesday for everything. So when there's also an expression, I'm sorry I'm gonna be a little vulgar. It's name fod name side seema, which means that someone that you know, it doesn't go forward or back, just in the middle. It's just you're just a problem, you're an, an obstacle. So, Wednesday, it's like the day, the boring day in the middle of the week. You know, it's you still have
2: <laughs> two uh, days that until the week. said weekend. in Portuguese, right? It was in yeah, he
0: says, tu aí, o quarto... I'm going to say in the quarta-feira, uh, or enters, or vais para puta que te pariu. Uh, <laughs>
2: Better in Portuguese. It's better in Portuguese. Come on. Yes,
0: that's yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh and that's one of the, the words that uh that people are repeating everywhere. Uh, brilliant. They're making t-shirts with it.
2: Brilliant. Um Hugo, I mean, thank you so much. We could we, I, I feel like I could talk for a long time, but uh, but let's let's start wrapping things up a little bit. Um I mean, uh what's um what's one thing that you that you want people to remember? and take away from our conversation? This one thing. Oh. Uh,
0: I don't know. that It would be kind of pretentious to think that <laughs> people could take something out of it. Um, I don't know if they can take what I'm going to say from this conversation. Um, but it's something that um, I've learned or I've get used to it, you know? And I first listened to these... Uh, there's this uh, British uh, philosopher, thinker called Alain de Bouton. And uh, you can even find this piece of text in YouTube. You just call it Normal Life, Alain de Bouton. And he says something that why are people so um, concerned or uh, hesitant about having a normal life? Uh, because being normal, like having doing something that you like, being healthy, having food, having shelter... Uh, Being loved, you know, having uh, your family, those are things that we consider normal, but also considering the history of humankind and other places around us in the world. It's amazing. You know, again, the story that I told you about the the cosmic lottery. Hmm. uh, uh, And I, throughout time, uh, of course, I know that I'm privileged. I know there's an element of luck to it, you know. Um, I know that, and I'm grateful for that. But if we, uh, if we are healthy, if we are make, if we're able to make a living, especially, and this is not very common, if you do something that you like, or at least something that doesn't kill you every day, um, uh, if we are able to enjoy that, you know, for example, now I have a kid, he's two years old, and I start, he's going to school the fact that i'm able to take him to school walking those 10 minutes are just precious and the other day i was listening to michael keaton i loved you know the american writer known as uh as batman the first batman and he said something that it's so simple it's so true he said so true he said you know what i'm 70 something now the only thing i don't regret is spending time with my kids i've lost jobs i've you know but at the end of the day, uh, at the end of life, that's why I don't regret. And there's this huge study made, I think, by Harvard. Uh, they uh, followed uh, for more than, I think, ninety years um, a group of men. When they started, women unfortunately were not considered in those studies yet. But they, 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 they studied this generation of men. From teenage years to until they were ninety, and at the end, the ones that were still alive at ninety, they always said, "Like, spend time with the people that you love, with your friends and your family. That's the thing that will keep you healthy and will give you more pleasure and more mm-hmm. fulfillment." So, I don't want to—I don't want to sound like a personal coach <laughs> or a self-help author, uh, but sometimes the biggest revelations are very simple. Yeah.
2: Yeah um hugo where can people follow you online and and keep up to date with what you're up to next and uh the next thing the next the next things
0: well i don't have a tiktok account yet so Thank i'm you. not Neither i'm do not I. doing video dancing you know i'm not dancing in videos but they can find me in instagram just look for Ugo gonzalves escritor or in facebook uh, also facebook i also have an account uh and uh i think that's the best way because i i you only usually nowadays i only usually, usually i i'm sorry use um instagram. Uh, instagram and and facebook for professional things so there are, cool. you know places where i'm giving readings or lectures or the new book that's uh, just coming out uh, in october um called revolution it's about the end of the dictatorship and the revolution of seventy four. So, if you want to follow my work, um, that's I'm a
2: historic, time, that's a historic book. That's a uh, yes.
0: It's coming non-fiction. out in October. Yeah, fiction. Yeah, called Revolução. A okay. very interesting period in Portugal.
2: Maybe we should do another episode and talk about the Portuguese. Revolution. Yes. I don't, yes, that could be fun. Okay, yes. um, so we'll put some show notes in the uh, links in the show notes of the podcast, so people can follow you. Um, but finally, um, Hugo, a question that we ask all of our guests: mm. Portugal, the simple life. Why?
0: Well, I think it's um, it's a trick question because life in Portugal can be co- very complicated for some people. I know, I know what you mean. Of course, I know the context. I know what you mean. Um, um, but I'm only, uh, uh, I'm only questioning the the concept of simple life in portugal because recently and i guess you've been living here for a while uh portugal has been sold as uh oh it's it's a cheap country you know just go there everything is fine you you'll be treated like kings and i think there's more to portugal than it and i know that you know that otherwise you wouldn't be doing these shows and you wouldn't be living here for um for uh how many years we've been living here. Um, but, you know, uh, um, even the other day I was reading an article, I think it was a, an American newspaper that said that you know, all these people that you know, cash in their money, they're in 50s, they retire and they to go to Portugal because it's really cheap. And like I said, I'm not uh, uh, one to feel proud or insulted, you know, about uh, my my country or whatever. I think I lived abroad. I think that Portugal is living probably the best time since I was alive. People from everywhere, you know, from Southeast Asia, from Europe. I love that. I love living in a, a, a place uh, where cultures meet and they live in, in peace. But it can be sometimes um, upsetting, you know, when you see people. And I, I, I mean, you've been living here when you see people that come here and they're just um they're just passing by. they are just taking advantage of the things that their money can buy. They don't care about the language, they don't care about the culture, they don't care about anything. And I'm not saying that there are many people like that. I don't think so. I've all I think more than half my friends nowadays are people that are from different countries and they love living in Portugal and they they, they love the culture. And um, but I think that idea again of Portugal has a simple life. You can have that simple life if you work for it and if you believe in that simple life. I was talking. It's funny because I talked and if about you the you em- nor-
2: embrace and engage, yes, and integrate all those things. And of yeah. course... You
0: and it's to- funny because I I didn't I mentioned normal life. You mentioned simple life, and they are the same. Just and, different words. They are the same. Yeah. And if you have it in you, and if you're looking for that life, you can you find it in Portugal, and probably easier easier than you find it in Manhattan where a room costs you four thousand dollars a month or whatever and and the pace of life is different so if you're looking for each i think it's a um a good place to uh, to live yes i agree with it's you. a great answer thank you so much <laughs> and
2: U- ugo yeah thank you for being on the podcast i love this conversation and me too thank um, you I'm for having you me it. that's a wrap So thank you once again to our guests and thank you to all of you for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, give us a thumbs up and please leave a comment or a review. We always love to hear from you. Don't forget, Portugal The Simple Life also has a magazine, so download it. It's for free. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And as we say in Portugal, bem-vindo." Welcome to The
1: Simple Life.